Welcome to the Pretty Powerful Podcast, where powerful women are interviewed every week to share real inspiring stories and incredible insight to help women or anyone break the barriers, be a part of innovation, shatter the glass ceiling, and dominate to the top of their sport, industry, or life's mission. Join us as we celebrate exceptional women and step into our power. And now, here's your host, Angela Gennari. Hello, and welcome to the Pretty Powerful Podcast. My name is Angela Gennari, and today I'm here with Elise Maslonic. How are you, Elise? Good, I'm doing well. How are you, Angela? I am doing so good. Thank you so much for asking. So I want to introduce Elise to you because I think she's got a really fascinating story that you guys are going to really love. So Elise began her life as a child of unfortunate circumstances. Through those tough experiences, she was determined to make the world a better place for others and used her desire to escape her surroundings as fuel to push others forward. At age 21, with a measly $63 in her name, she packed up everything she owned and set out on a journey to change her life. By the age of 23, she was managing a multi-million dollar property asset in Charlotte, North Carolina. She went on to become one of the youngest sales and marketing representatives for a custom home builder in the Charlotte region, where she developed the love of helping people achieve their own piece of the American dream through home ownership. Elise would go on to spend many years in corporate roles, consistently pushing back against the status quo to create change within systems of injustice and inequality. Reflecting on her journey from humble beginnings to success, she contemplated how to give back to children that need it the most. As a need-based scholarship recipient in her childhood, Elise recognized the significance of her education had in her ability to stop the cycle of generational poverty. With fierce determination and a belief that she could make a difference in growing funding for financial and scholarships for underprivileged children, Elise founded Redefined Advisors, LLC, a strategic development partner for non-public and private schools and offers a wide array of services to help schools grow funding and enrollment. As CEO of Redefined Advisors, LLC, Elise continues her lifelong mission through the Triumph Over Tragedy Scholarship Award which provides additional scholarships to students that have demonstrated their ability to triumph over tragedy and who have remained resilient in the face of adversity. Very cool. I love that story so much. So, so tell me a little bit. So as you're growing up, did you foresee anything other than what you were in, in the cycle that you were in? You know, I, that's such a good question. I, from a very, very young age, I had a journal and through all of the chaos, I would always write, uh-huh. this is not the story that God intended for me. Wow. I will break this cycle. Yeah, in fifth grade, I wrote that in my journal. And I remember always feeling like there is something else that's promised. If I can just make it through the darkness, there is beauty out there waiting for me. So it was odd um, that I had that at a young age. But I think a lot of it had to do with my grandma was, you know, drug me to church all the time. And she mm-hmm. would talk to me about those things. And so did my mom, even though we really struggled, she really instilled in us that, you know, this isn't the end and, and tough people last tough times. Don't. Yes, absolutely. I believe that wholeheartedly. So as you're struggling and you're, you're a, a child and, you know, and this is the thing with 
I, I actually studied child psychology in college and it is so hard to break those cycles because as a child, all you know is your surroundings and what is shown to you, right? And so you don't start discovering the world until you really get out of your out, out of your area. And that's tough to do as a child, especially if you don't have means to travel. So, you know, when when did you really start to kind of believe that something was could be different and you started to see it and make it happen for yourself? Sure. Um, so it is when I removed myself from my surroundings. Yeah. I had uh, testified in a criminal trial against my stepfather and it did not go well. And the next day I packed up everything that I owned and I had met my biological grandfather that I never knew. Wow. And turns out he was a real estate guy down in Charlotte, North Carolina. And he had said to me, you know, I see your story and I see that you're struggling. And every time you take a step forward, you get knocked back, you know, three or four. So he said, I won't give you a dime, but I will teach you what I know. So you can have a room to stay. But um, and he's like, I know that's weird, but if you're willing, I'm willing. So yeah. after that, I just I did. I packed up everything I owned. I only had 63 bucks to my name and I drove down to North Carolina and very quickly, very quickly, I, you know, enrolled in real estate school. I had actually transferred my waitressing job from Pennsylvania to Charlotte, North Carolina. So I started work the next day. Wow. And um, as soon as I got into the real estate classes, um, I was uh, only two of 21 that passed the course. And I realized, you know, there are people in here that are much more accomplished than me and how I ever thought about myself. And here I was one of two that passed. So um, that's very quickly when I got some confidence of, you know, maybe I can do it. And then I got a job and then I got promoted. And the more that I kept going and these, these hurdles that I kept going over, um, my confidence just kept building. And I realized th there's space for me in this world. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and, I actually, I grew up in Pennsylvania as well. And one of the things that I had said to myself is if I'm ever going to do anything with my life, I've got to leave this town. <laughs> and, you know, there are many people that I went to school with who have done just fine, but I knew I would never thrive there. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was, it was really just a change of environment for me altogether. And so I moved out of state and uh, I've never been, you know, never gone back to live. I've gone back to visit, but that's about it. Five days max. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's so interesting. I thought I would never move back, but yeah. um, my first love um, was from Pennsylvania when I was 15 and I moved back and married him. So that's oh, the other wow. reason I'm here. <laughs> ah, that's awesome. Good for you. So, uh, so, so how hard was it to testify against your stepdad? It was really difficult. It, um, it created such a wedge in between my biological family and siblings. And it really showed me that there is so much work to do in the justice system. Oh my gosh. And you're not kidding. It is really really sad when you have to as someone that's been had been through what I was as a victim and describe and and have you know defense attorneys that they're and call you as a, an eight-year-old that it was your fault and it and those types of things it, it's very eye-opening when you do go through something like that but I always say that I knew that I was strong enough to withstand it 
there was something in me at a young age that if it was going to happen to anyone, I needed it to happen to me because I know that I'll make it through that storm. And I will take those lessons and ensure and do the work that I need to do to make sure that other kids don't have to experience it. Absolutely. Well, good for you for taking all of your pain and all of your suffering and turn it into something that benefits others now, because I, I believe that as well, that, you know, when, when you can take that, that pain and, and use it as fuel for good and not, you know, an excuse to go. And, and so many people do, they go through very tragic circumstances and they use it. You can either take, uh, you know, you can go on one road, which is where that you use that fuel and you create a passion to help others, or you can use it as an excuse to go become addicted to drugs and alcoholic and all of these things. And so you can take one or two paths and it's really, there's nothing in between because it changes who you are. It changes your, your persona, it changes the dynamic of how you interact in the world. And so I feel like it, it, if you can choose that for good, if you can use that fuel for good, so much can happen in your life. And that's so interesting that you say that because I'm actually in the process of writing a memoir um, on my life. Yes. And the whole concept of it is called The Anger She Keeps. And it talks about how oftentimes in society, we really are told to be shameful of our anger, right? Right. And that it's really bad. But I think that we do so many victims of trauma a disservice by saying that anger is bad and just get rid of it. Because it's sometimes the anger that you feel is justified. And it is so, it burns so intensely that there is no way to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. So we need to have a better conversation with victims of real intense trauma that have that anger that it is not a bad thing. It's not something that you have to try to um, you know, numb out with drugs or alcohol, but it is something that you can use that is so powerful as fuel mm-hmm. if you can transform it. So I want that conversation to be a lot different than what we do because I spent so much of my life saying, no one likes an angry woman. No one likes an angry woman. But no one likes an angry woman until that woman takes that anger and transforms it into something beautiful. That's exactly right. Absolutely. So when you're going through um, the real estate classes, and you're really understanding that you're doing something potentially life changing for yourself. Um, where's your first opportunity out, you know, your first job, your first opportunity, and were you terrified? Were you confident? How did you feel in that moment? Because this is out of your wheelhouse, right? This is out of where, what you've always known. Yes. So that's such a good question too, because I was absolutely terrified. I actually landed my first job as a leasing consultant for a property management company. The title sounds really great, but the pay wasn't. Um, and they had a, they had a base pay and then they had like commission. So the better that you did, the the more money that you made. And I was petrified, Yeah, petrified, but I thought I'm one of those people that you have to be at work eight hours a day. You might as well fake it till you make it Mm -hmm. and do, uh, do it a hundred percent because you have to be there anyways. So, um, that was my first opportunity. And very quickly, I realized that when it comes to sales, it's all about understanding people Mm -hmm. and connecting with them. And I knew even at a young age, 
that I had had lived so many experiences that 80 year olds have have experienced, you know, so I had it been poor, I've had money, I've, you know, I've been through it. So it was so cool to realize that my life had really led me to be able to relate and really see people for mm-hmm. who they were and in a non-judgmental way. And that made me very successful when it came to sales and building those relationships. So um, yeah, I was petrified, but very quickly I realized, you know, this is all about just talking with people and getting to know them and their stories. So right. that was right. what was really cool about it. That's awesome. So so you're going from, you know, an environment where you're you're learning something new, you're trying something new. And at what point do you start thinking, how do I start giving back? Yes. So it actually took me a long time because as you said, um, you can remove yourself from trauma. And that is a great way to try to start healing. But if you don't do the healing work and you just remove yourself, yeah. then yeah. that trauma is going to follow you. And that's really what happened to me. So mm-hmm. I moved out. My my um, career was amazing, but I fell into that trap of really not knowing what love was and how to define love and picked a really, really bad partner. And mm. um, so my life was just crazy at home and embarrassing at home. And again, and so for me, Finally, when I got that strength to say, you know what, I'm repeating this cycle and I can't do that. I can't, I can't do that. So I finally left that relationship and um, that was when everything kind of took off. Not my career multiplied, um, my, my family life and my home life were wonderful. And that's whenever I started building like really the finances to even start thinking about um, other people. Mm -hmm. And I had, when I moved to Pennsylvania, I worked with a development company on scholarships in the same scholarships that I received as a child. And I thought, wow, this is really cool. And that is when I realized I need to do this on my own because no one knew there was no other business out there that was really being run by someone that experienced those scholarships and how powerful could you be? If you were the one navigating and steering the ship because you knew how they affected you. So that is what made me really um, take that leap of faith and start giving back through this company. Um, And it's been such a wonderful experience and what we've been able to accomplish. And it really shows that those people that have been affected and have lived those experiences are the ones that should be involved in the decision-making to Mm. change things because they know what matters. Right. So tell me about what the scholarship did for you. Yeah. So I ended up, um, I was really bullied in, um, and it's nothing against public school for other kids. Public school plays a great role and they do wonderful things for millions of students. But for me, it was not a great experience at Mm -hmm. all. And um, I was, lucky enough to receive a scholarship to go to the private school in the other town. And whenever I did that, you know, we were were pretty poor at that time. Mm -hmm. So I didn't like hang out with kids that had, um, you know, parents as doctors or that had a mom and dad that were together forever, you know, or had that stable kind of life. And so for me, that scholarship, number one, 
it was a religious school. So I learned about God and a higher power and really connected in that way of something that I've always felt at a young age. So that was really helpful to me. But then number two, just being exposed to other ways of life. I always say I'm very much like a sponge and I try to soak in as much uh, that surrounds me. And so I took that opportunity and saw, all right, things can be different. I don't know how they're going to be, yeah, but mm-hmm. they can be. So I didn't lose hope. And oftentimes I think that is one of the hardest reasons to break the cycle. Because if you do not have hope and have that, see a way to that opportunity or know that it is possible, then it is that mindset of like, there's no use in striving because I'm stuck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that resonates so much with me because I grew up in the inner city of York, Pennsylvania, and, you know, nothing about nothing against York, but it wasn't the best environment. (laughs) It wasn't the best environment, especially downtown. Um, So I lived two blocks off of the square and, you know, we raised by a single mom and most of the people that I knew only had one parent. So that was, that was normal. You know, most of the people that I knew had, um, you know, it was, was a pretty poor area. And, but my mom would drive me out to the suburbs to do cheerleading. So we had cheerleading and, you know, in downtown New York, of course, but we, she would drive me out to the suburbs to do cheerleading out there. And then she would send me away to summer camp in the woods, you know, way far away, a couple hours from home. And so those experiences are what really opened my eyes to what else is out there. And so I really think it's exposure. It's all about exposure. Um, You know, I love that some of the schools now are doing trips to colleges in like middle school because they want them to see this is what the possibility is. Like there are options outside of your, you know, six block radius of your house. And Mm -hmm. so I think that that exposure is, is so, is so powerful and um, profound for a young person. So I I can totally relate to that. Yeah. And I I think oftentimes, you know, I I say this so much about trauma when you are, that is your cycle and you have navigated it and you've grown up in it. When things aren't chaotic, it can be very uncomfortable and fill you with fear of like, Mm -hmm. wait, I, I don't know how to handle when life is like this. I don't know. And it makes people uncomfortable. And so much so that when they escape, right, they are like, they retreat back to where they're into that cycle because Mm -hmm. they don't know how to deal with it. And that was very much who I was. It took me like 26 years uh, to (laughs) actually realize like, oh my goodness, I, I've been getting these opportunities to get out. And then I just, I need the chaos because that's what I've known and I needed to stop all of that. Yeah. Well, and then that, that applies to so many things that applies to people in relationships who are in, you know, who grew up with an abusive household and then they go into abusive marriages. And because that's the cycle that they know it's painful, they know it's awful, but Mm -hmm. that's, what's comfortable to them. That's what, that is their comfort zone. And they feel like that's what love is. Right. So that, that is what they attribute to love. Like, well, if I grew up with my mom and my dad, they're still together after 50 years, even though he beat her every single day you know that's 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 love and same thing with jail and I feel like that's why people can commit crimes over and over and over is they get out of jail they go back to the environment they were in before jail they have no additional skills they have no additional way to to make you know life for themselves and then 
there, there are many, many times where when people are in jail for a long time, they become acclimated to that environment and they'll recommit a crime to go back to jail because that is comfort to them. That's what they know. It's three meals a day. It's a bed. It's predictable. And so mm-hmm. even though it's chaos and it's a bad environment, that's what people will retreat to, um, you know, just innately, which is it's sad. It's hard yeah. to break cycles. Absolutely. And I think for me, I lived so much of that where it was like, mm-hmm. uh, my family life was abusive. And so then I started a relationship that was abusive and then I couldn't leave because that's what I know. And yeah. this is love. And it was mm-hmm. so confusing. But the yeah. moment that I realized, because I have a defiant streak in me, <laughs> uh, the, the moment that I realized that I was allowing myself to become a statistic yeah. is the moment yeah. that I was like, I drew the line and I, but it was such a realization and it was a police officer. Wow. Really? Yeah. I had this very bad situation that happened with my ex-husband. They had to come and he pulled me aside and he handed me his card and he said, sweetheart, I've been on many calls like this and they don't end the way you think they're going to end. You need to go. And I did. I, I went to my sister's house and thankfully, like, am not part of that. And I should have known that. That's the the wild thing is <clears throat> it's almost like I needed to hear it from him in such a stern way. And he said it in a way that I shouldn't be embarrassed, but like I was in danger. And I should have known that based on like my life previously and watching my mom go through it. But like, it wasn't clicking. I just kept saying that, well, this is love. This is love. And it wasn't, yeah. you know, so yeah. I needed that outside person. So for our company, like one of the biggest things that I want to bring into our mission and who we are as a company is to be that outside person. Yeah. Yeah. Because sometimes that's who it, that's what it takes is an outside voice to show you that it's possible and that's what you can do and it's okay Mm -hmm. to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, that one outside person can make all the difference. Right. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter if it's a police officer, like in your case, in my case, it was a guidance counselor in Mm -hmm. high school. In high school, I was always a good student and I I wanted to do well, but my mom worked all the time. I mean, she was a single mom. She was waitressing. She was working in a factory. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. she, she was always just, it was paycheck to paycheck. And so I didn't really have a lot of adult influence in my life. And so he would take me aside and say, Hey, there's this, you know, business camp that a college is running over the summer. I'm going to sign you up for it. There's this mediation training. And I think you'd be good at that. And so he kept pulling me out of the environment I was in and showing me these opportunities, but it took him for me to say, wow, there, somebody sees potential in me and I never saw it in myself. Right. And it's that, it's that, that one person who takes you aside can make all the difference in one sentence. It can, it can change your life. Yeah. And then you look back and it's so interesting because like when you're living it, sometimes like you don't, you can't convince yourself that it is what it is, right? right but then right. when you leave yeah, and yeah. you realize normal life, yeah. I look back and I think that is so scary mm-hmm. that I allowed that and that I couldn't see or remove myself. And, and it is mind-blowing whenever yeah. you are fully escaped from it and you look back and realize how bad it is. Because if someone was telling me that I was abused at that time, I would be like, no, I'm not like he just gets upset. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. Then I, once you've healed and, and go through um, therapy and all that stuff, you look at it and it is, it's wild how your perspective and where you're standing, yes. your vantage point can 
make you realize so much about the reality of the situations that you've been in. Because you normalize it, right? Mm-hmm. Because you, that becomes your new normal. It it happens to me. I was in an abusive marriage. My second marriage was very abusive. So it didn't start out like that. Never does, right? It never does. And so everybody's like, I'm so shocked. Like, because I've always been a very strong woman. I've always been very outspoken. And so for somebody to come in and be abusive to me, like you would think it would be a dog fight, right? <laughs> like I'm, I always, but, but it happens slowly mm-hmm. and it's very manipulative and And so, but I remember um, I had begged him to go to counseling multiple times and he would always go and he would always go like three or four times. And then at the end it would always, oh, you know, whenever the conversation turned to him, right? Mm -hmm. So it was the first couple sessions, my mom did this, my dad did this, my ex-wife did this, my, it's everybody else's fault. And then the moment the counselor returned it onto him, he would quit. It was an excuse of why he had to quit. And so I said, you know what, let's try couples counseling. Let's try couples counseling and we'll go together. And, um, it was a very frustrating experience, but I think the counselor, because I would tell a story and he would say, that's not how it happened. And he'd tell a completely different version of the story. And I would just be thinking, what universe did that happen? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, and then you but, question yourself. Like yeah, you question, right. you start that thinking you're crazy. To me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You start really believing that like what you felt, what you saw And what you experienced was not true. Mm -hmm. So then you're even scared to speak up and tell people because Mm -hmm. you have truly convinced yourself and, or this person has convinced you to believe that you can't trust what you're feeling and what you're experiencing. And that is true manipulation. And Mm -hmm. it is so powerful. And I wish that more people understood because I'm the same way, Angela, I'm a strong, strong woman. And Mm -hmm. if anyone anyone in my family they just couldn't believe like these things were happening you know to me of all people because I would be the first one to like walk away from someone that was rude to me like right exactly but so it is really difficult and I I hate to see sometimes where we like victim blame of like oh you should have just left earlier but no No, it really is psychological it Mm -hmm. really is Well, and a good narcissist is going to make everybody around him love him, right? And so it becomes unbelievable. If you try to tell the story, they're like, no, no, that's not possible, right? And they start questioning you. And so, yeah, but we were sitting in, I remember we were sitting in the marriage counselor's office and she said, you know what, I think let's just try um, individual counseling at first. She's like, she's like, cause you just, you know, your stories are very different. I want to hear from each of you individually. And she sat with me. I remember the first time I went in there and I met with her individually. She said, Angela, she's like, I'm going to tell you two things. And she said, number one, do you see how, when you're describing a story, it sounds normal to you if you're telling somebody else what's going on and they're sitting there with a shocked look on their face. And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, it's because you've normalized this. You think this is normal. You think breaking a door down because you're not letting him in is normal. You think all the locks being broken in your house is normal. You think not, you know, having your heart race when he pulls up in the driveway is normal. Like that Mm -hmm. has become your normal that's not normal. She said, when other people are shocked, when you're telling them something, it's because it's shocking. <laughs> it's not normal. And she I, it's, it. so, <laughs> it's so funny that you say that because I, I remember I was a branch manager and I was telling this story that I just thought was normal about my childhood. Like, right. yeah, it was a little like, you know, but it was normal. Mm. And I remember all of my employees looked at me 
and we're like looking at each other and we're like, are you, are you serious? And they were <laughs> right. absolutely shocked. And they were like, my parents never did that, Elise. Right. And I thought, and then I was embarrassed because I, I just truly did normalize so much. And yes. I was just telling a, a, a story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, like you, it, I would, I would think that like, well, this is just the story. Like, this is just what happened. And, and then I would just talk about it in a normal tone of voice, like not crying, not upset. Yeah. And, and they're like, how can you be so calm and talk about this? And then the other thing that she said to me is Angela, I know that you think it will change and this counseling will help him. And she said, and I am a Christian counselor and I never recommend divorce because I feel like there's always a way that you can make it work. And she said, but he will never let you leave this marriage intact. She said, mm -hmm. he will destroy you physically. He will destroy you mentally. And she mm -hmm. said, you need to pack a bag and leave today. <laughs> and that's, I mean, it's powerful when somebody else sees it, mm -hmm. but, but yeah, it, it's some, it sometimes takes that person stepping in to, to be that voice of reason for you because you're mm -hmm. in it. Like you were yes. saying, like you're in it. And yes. you know, when you're in it, it's so hard to see it for what it is. And they mm -hmm. say, you can't see the forest, uh, through the, for the trees or something. And it's mm -hmm. true. Like you can't, you can't see it until you step out of it. And when you step mm -hmm. out of it, you're like, oh my God, how did I survive that? Or mm -hmm. how did I let that go so long? Mm -hmm. And then you have guilt, right? You have that mm -hmm. guilt and anger of like, I let this go on, you know, how did mm -hmm. I let this happen so long? And how did yeah. I tolerate this? And mm -hmm. so you do. And I, I always think like, ah, uh, five years of my life, five yeah. years. Yep. I'll mm -hmm. let that go. I just, I look back at that and I honest to goodness, I, I, I don't even recognize that woman. Yes. I or girl. Agree. Like I don't remember. I, and my heart hurts for her. And I just, I don't remember being her. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Wow. Well, thank God that you're, you're past that and you have, you've gotten the help that you need and you've gotten that, you know, you, you've really kind of spent some time working on yourself because I think that's one of the most impactful things that you can do for your life to turn it around and to break a cycle. So then you start looking at these scholarships and figuring out how can I help other people? So how did that all come about? How did you, how did you put that together? Yeah. So, um, I started working with, um, some scholarship organizations that ran these programs and I realized that really there's not a lot of people out there that know how to navigate. It's a, what's called the educational improvement tax credit program. So you can, when donors give, they get a tax credit for giving, which okay. is really cool. So the state basically incentivizes people to help these underprivileged students with their own dollars. Mm -hmm. And, but it's a confusing process if you're not like a tax person and it mm. even confuses CPAs. So right. um, I just really studied it um, again, went in with that kind of sponge mindset of like, I want to know as much as I can. And so then we created a pretty simple process to explain it to the everyday person on how they can redirect their tax dollars to these underprivileged students in their communities. Um, and then we kind of handle that process for them. So they just have to sign a one page form and then write the contribution and we take care of everything else for them uh, to make it nice and easy because we knew that people want to help, but they also don't have time. Mm -hmm. So if we can make it smooth, simple, and explain it pretty easy uh, that they would be willing to come together. And boy, did they ever like in our first year, we raised $8.5 million wow. for students in 
Pennsylvania, which will affect about 10,000 students over the next two years. And that was our first year. And and to date, um, from our company, we're probably sitting about $13 million in what we've raised since the inception of our company. That's incredible. Good for you. Wow, that's so powerful. I love that story. So tell me now, uh, how many kids are you sending to schools now that you have raised all this money? And how long have you been doing this? Yeah, so the really cool thing is um, the dollars um, after two years will affect and help about 10,000 students attend and get out of um, their their school that they're currently in, which is really great. And all of the the dollars that we raise do go to underprivileged families. Like they, once you reach a certain income, those dollars don't go to you. Um, they, They do go to families that cannot afford financial aid and can't afford to, if they're in a public school, like, and they know that they're not really, they're really struggling, well, that's great that there's other options, but if it's not financially obtainable for them, like they're stuck. So right. it only goes to those families that do need another option, but can't financially make it happen. So that is really cool to see. Not only is the first step of change is getting these students, but when you change the generational cycle by getting a child out of a system that's not working and giving them that opportunity to see the world outside of where they were, Mm -hmm. it can change not only for them, but their siblings, their mom, their dad, their children. And I always say, I wish I will be around to see the full scope of change that we've created in our company. But I really believe that the change will continue to go and will far outlive even myself. Yeah. Because it's cyclical. Well, I love it. It's so beautiful that you're doing, you know, you're really creating a legacy and not just for yourself, but for so many people, because like I said, you know, we were talking about it. It's exposure, you know, it's exposure. It's knowing what's outside of your area. And that's one of the biggest troubling things with people who are in these cycles is they just don't know, right? They just don't know. And until you have that exposure and until you're out of that environment and you're seeing what's possible and you're able to experience these things and you have the support that you need, that's really powerful. So good for you. Wow. That's just so amazing. Yeah. It feels good. I always say I, I, it reminds me of someone had asked me like, are you really going to start this company? And I said to him, I owe it to my younger self. Yeah. Do this. Because I think about that girl writing in my journal in fifth grade saying there is beauty waiting for me if you just make it through. Yeah. And it's so cool to see because I really feel like it's such a powerful, profound moment in my life. Whenever I realize I made it come true. Yeah. And then not only did I make it come true for myself, but it's having an impact in Mm -hmm. our state. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's amazing. So are you guys going outside of Pennsylvania now? Or have you do you have plans to expand? Yeah, so we're actually in Georgia already. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and so there are um, about a dozen states that have uh, these uh, tax credit programs, which is really cool. Um, so we do plan to go into other states. We have just grown so much in Pennsylvania so fast. I mean, so fast. I, I couldn't have ever imagined. I knew we would be successful because I didn't give myself an give myself an option to fail. But 
I never imagined in my wildest dreams that we would grow as quickly as we have in this state. So we just don't want to outgrow our pace and fail. So um, we're, we're trying to be as strategic as possible. Um, but yes, that is the plan. We're ramping up with employees right now. Um, we actually had to move into a larger office space um, yeah. to fit all of the employees. So that is really exciting to kind of ramp up, get on solid ground so that we can be just as successful in all the other states that offer these credits as we are in Pennsylvania. Wow. Well, good for you. That's amazing. And I'm in Georgia. So yay. Yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's awesome. Savannah <laughs> is where we are, uh, which is really cool. So we only have, we only picked up one school so far in Georgia, uh -huh. um, but it's been going really well. And what we've learned is once one domino kind of falls, they all start seeing the impact and they jump on board. Very cool. So you work directly with the schools or do you work with the donors or how does that work? Yeah. So we actually partner with the schools themselves. Okay. And then we, we are the ones that go out and find the donors for the schools. Okay. Um, and, and all of those things, because at, at first, one of the biggest things that I hope people will take away from this is um, I was really confused on whether to do a nonprofit or a for-profit business. And because it wasn't about money, I've been poor, like it didn't matter to me. I just wanted to make my legacy. Like I wanted people to know that I left my mark on this world. And um, ultimately I chose a for-profit company. Mm -hmm. The reason why I did that is because there's such a, a way that nonprofits are supposed to fit in this box. They're supposed to spend the least amount of money and, and, and sometimes spending the least amount of money is not the best option to make the biggest impact. And then there's a board that tells you what to do. And I'm not really good with having people tell me the direction that I want to go. Because yeah. again, the reason I started this is because I have experienced it and the other people on the board may not have. So um, we did a, a for-profit, but we keep the same model mm -hmm. as a nonprofit. So everything that we get in above and beyond salaries, right? We are like reinvesting into our community, but it, it cut the red tape mm -hmm. of having to wait for a board and, and all of those things. But. Yeah, I think that's amazing. And it's still a write-off for the people who are donating, correct? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's a uh, write-off. And so basically, I'll give you a quick example. If someone owed $1,000 in Pennsylvania state taxes and they uh -huh. gave $1,000 to, um, to the scholarship organization for these students, all $1,000 that that person gives would go to those students. But then they would also receive a credit on their taxes of $900. So it's like you get credit for paying $900 of your taxes, but meanwhile, you gave $1,000 to these students. So it's a really cool program. It's it's one of those where you get 90 cents on every dollar that you give if you do it in the correct way. And we're giving anyways in our day-to-day -day life and we're not getting anything back. So it's a pretty easy conversation when people grasp it. Again, yeah. it's can be confusing, but the way that we do it, we try to simplify it so that people just understand when they give, they can get back as well. Wow, that's powerful. And I definitely mm -hmm. want to talk to you because we pay a lot of taxes and, mm -hmm. and I'm always looking for charities. And one of the challenges I had this year is I wanted to donate to a charity that would help children and a charity that would help veterans. Mm -hmm. And it was, but I didn't want to go with a big national organization because I know how how 
little of the money typically goes mm-hmm. to the actual yes. people who need it. I mm-hmm. wanted a smaller organization that I could donate to, but they're so hard to find they because, are. you know, like, like they're underrepresented and they're not putting the money into the marketing that these big national organizations are doing. And then they become really, really, really difficult to find. Yes. And then they're not staffed well. So you're trying to get in touch with people and it takes them a week or two or two to respond. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. so I think what you're doing is so incredible and, you know, reaching out to corporations would be amazing because mm-hmm. if you're reaching out to corporations and like I'm paying you know if I have to pay twelve thousand dollars to the state of Georgia I would love to be able to just shoot that over to you and say here do something with this that's powerful and meaningful versus me just handing it over not that I don't want to pay taxes I don't want to tell people I don't want to pay taxes but I was I would love to see it directly impact my community as well 100 percent and the really cool thing and the way that um the the state of Pennsylvania is set up is even if every single person in our community participated right and redirected their tax dollars, it's a separate line item in the budget. So your Mm. county and township, like there's not going to be less tax dollars for your public schools or anything like that. It's a separately funded uh, part of the budget, which I love because yeah, yeah, we don't, tax dollars are important where they flow to and the services. Um, So we always try to make sure people understand that because the last thing we want to do is handicap a public school right? because no, they play not. such, they play such a big role in our communities, but uh, they're all, we also have to understand the reality that public school doesn't fit every single child. Right. Of course. Yeah. I think, and I think tar- tailoring that, you know, and allow people to put the money where they feel it's going to make the most impact. Um, mm-hmm. And whether that's, you know, I know I went to a public school and my son goes to public school, but I know there, there's a vast difference in the public school I went to and the one that he is going to. <laughs> absolutely. I, absolutely. I always say it's like a, one of those situations where I, I, I am such a, I had a wonderful teacher uh, her name was Mrs. Spees when I went to pu- um, public school. Yeah. And sh- that woman is a godsend. Mm-hmm. And she just, I always say, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Freedom Writers, but that is her as an English teacher. She's just wow. amazing. So there are some life-changing, life-altering teachers in public school Absolutely. that aren't in private. But again, overall, um, we just have to have some options for those ones that don't fit in that box. Yeah, absolutely. And kids are all different, just like, you know, their education should be. So, well, I'm so incredibly impressed with what you're doing. And I think you're really building an incredible legacy that's going to hopefully um, have a huge impact on breaking cycles of poverty. And, And I think that it takes people like you who really have experienced what you've experienced and say no more. And it's time to make a difference and it's time to step up and good for you for using all of your pain for fuel and, um, and not numbing it. Like we were talking about earlier. Thank you. I really appreciate that. My legacy is something I think about all the time. So I I hope to, to live up to what I want to leave behind. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, so who inspires you? Who inspires me? There's so many people that I draw yeah, inspiration yeah. from. Um, you know, obviously the women in my family to just mm-hmm. watch them um, struggle and and overcome and even out every single odd that was stacked against them, I think is mm-hmm. a beautiful thing. Um, our next generation inspires me and gives me such hope. 
in um, their willingness to look at social social issues um, yeah, and yeah. want to be the change that they seek. Um, I think they get a bad rap. Every gener every youngest generation does from the older generation. Yeah, all these kids, yeah. you know. But no, I really do. They they inspire me and. Um, yeah, I think it's really the younger generation. And I just a shout out to all these women. I, I was at this in LA, Los Angeles for this remarkable women's um, from next to our media, 112 women from across the country were selected to go. And being in that room of another 112 remarkable women, was so inspiring. It's these everyday women that get up without the recognition without the applause, without the fanfare, and they continue to make the world a better place. And that mm. to me is so inspiring. Yes, 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 absolutely. I agree. And since I started this podcast, I've met so many inspiring women and I am just in awe of what they are accomplishing every single day. And with odds stacked against us, we still push through. So um, there's, you know, was it hell hath no fury as a woman's scorn? Scorned. Like, don't, yeah. don't piss me off because <laughs> <Yes. laughs> I will change yep. the world. <laughs> yes, that's so true. That's my motto. I always say I, I had an old boss right before I started my job, my, my company that upset me because he yeah. treated me like I couldn't do it. And that was the worst decision. Yeah. Oh, because yeah. I, it just fuels me to, to, to prove it wrong and to make it happen. Wow. That's amazing. So that kind of leads me into a question. So as women, we give our power away all the time, you know, and, and that looks different for everybody. So can you tell me about a time that you've given your power away and then another time where you've stepped into your power and owned it? Yeah, I um going through, I, um, I don't speak about this often, but um, obviously I was married before in that really bad relationship and I had a child with him and um, he's my buddy, Connor. But um, when I left, I decided to um, be nice and genuinely he, he struggled with drugs, this guy, and I had a really good job. So I said, I won't divorce you so that you can keep my the health insurance. Do you know what I mean? If you ever want to go, my insurance covered uh, rehabilitation 100%, no cost. So I didn't ever want him to be without that option. So I gave up that power of just walking away and like stopping and moving on. And it turned out through the court system, that was a really bad idea. Mm -hmm. Really bad idea because then as I went on to live my life, and I was still technically married, even though I was genuinely doing it out of like good intentions. It was, it was a bad thing to do. Don't ever do that. Just get divorced. Really? Just yes. Do not leave the door open. Don't let it appear that you've left the door open. If mm -hmm. you truly are done, even if it's to the benefit of your child's father. Um, so that is one. And it, it made custody and everything else very bad really very 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 bad very bad and um the other time is genuinely I think it's that story of I had um kept having old clients say you know Elise if you ever go out on your own you need to call me you know and I yeah I eventually so many people had said that to me I, I talked to my old boss about it and I said look 
I have a school that really wants to hire me. They're not going to hire this company. We already know they said they will not partner with our current company, but they want to hire me. So I was trying to work something out that we could work together and I could take on this partnership because there were many schools that didn't want to partner with him and his business, but they wanted to partner with just me. Right. And it was happening really often. So I didn't want to not help them. And he just would not partner with me in a way that was reasonable for what I was worth with the company. And that is stepping into my power and saying, you know what, you're going to regret this. Yeah, and I'm going to go on and I'm going to, to do this because I gave that opportunity to work together and the old me would have just been like, oh, okay, sorry, school. Like, I'm just going to stay in this job because it's what I know. But I, I thought, no, I'm going to do this because I'm powerful enough to do it. I'm yeah. powerful enough to do it. And I have the strength to make it work. So um, I always suggest going into that fear of the unknown right before yeah. something beautiful happens, at least in my life, it has been proven over and over again, that right before the beauty hits, it's really dark. Yeah. It gets a little bit more intense of darkness. And then it just opens up with the most beautiful scene that you can ever imagine in your life. So keep going and believe in yourself. And everyone doubts themselves, mm -hmm. right? Everyone has Everybody. their doubts. But don't let it deter you and let that fear pull you back into a situation that you're comfortable in just to be comfortable. Yeah, I agree. Wow, that's awesome. Great, great advice. Um, yeah, I love that you stepped into your power when you knew you believed in yourself, right? And that that to me is one of the biggest ways we can step into our power. And and you know, when you gave your power away to your ex-husband, that is that's such something that as women we do all the time. We think about the bigger picture, right? Like we are not we are not selfish. And so we we typically will think bigger picture, like this is my son's father, this is for the greater good. I'm gonna sacrifice my ability to move on because this is what's best for the environment and we do that too much right mm -hmm. sometimes Absolutely. we have to be selfish because being selfish is what allows us to grow and develop in in certain moments and I'm not saying always I'm not saying always do for yourself but that's when we give our power away the most is when mm -hmm. we think we're being helpful for the greater good absolutely so, yeah mm -hmm. So what advice would you give to your 18-year-old self? Yeah, my 18-year-old self would be listen to my heart. I was always in love with my first love. Okay? Like my yeah. whole life. He, I, I was with him when I was 15. He was 16. And I loved him like my whole life. And I always thought about him. Um, and I, I just felt like, gosh, we were meant to get back together at some point in life. But yeah. then I was like, eh. I don't want to bug him or ask him and take that rejection. So I'm just going to try to move on. And so I would, the one thing I would say is just because someone is your first love doesn't mean that you um, need to go out and like experience life and you have to listen to society and you, you should date other people just before you get married. Like I, I wish that number one, because um, gosh, we missed a lot of time together, but um, number two, I think, just be nicer to your mom. Yeah, I know. Be nicer to your mom because gosh, I was I was I was miserable to her for for many things, you know. Yeah. And you know, she did make mistakes, but now I have three children and 
I make mistakes all the time, all the time. And some of the things that I felt were mistakes and I was angry at her. I didn't recognize it until I had my third child. But it is easy to like feel overwhelmed, right? Like, so I would have, I had my first and I was like, wow, how could my mom act the way that she did? I don't feel this, you know? And then my second, I was still like, everyone always said, when you, when you have a child, your relationship with your mom will get better. And I was so upset because the first child, I didn't feel that. The second child, I didn't feel that. So that third, (laughs) that third and the chaos that comes with that really did change the way that I looked at her mistakes under a microscope. Um, So yes, and when you're 18, be nicer to your mom um, and understand that they do make mistakes and some of them are absolutely awful, awful. But they didn't do it to hurt you. It's because they've been through their own cyclical trauma and they may or may not have healed and they were probably just doing the best that they could to just survive you know? Absolutely. Yeah. It's so hard because we look back and we want to be so judgmental. We want to, you know, we want to think I didn't do it that way. So why, why did she, or why did they, or, but it's, it's really hard. Um, and you know, I always, I learned at much too late in life to meet people where they are, you know, meet people where they are. Not everybody's in the same place as you and we've got to give them grace. So yes, great. Absolutely. So I've really enjoyed this conversation. This has been super fun. Um, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of what you're doing. I have one last question for you. What do you wish more people knew? I wish more people knew that the thread that connects all of us is just the desire to be seen mm-hmm. and understood. Mm-hmm. And I think that I wish more people took the time really understand why someone acts the way that they do and if if you're with someone that's you know you're driving down the road and someone is just like beeping their horn and like flipping out right they might have had an absolutely terrible day and you're probably seeing them at their worst moment right and everyone has them everyone has those awful moments so I just to your point grace Mm -hmm. grace I think just in this world today, everything seems so angry and like, especially politics and all like, it's just like everyone, we are all humans and we all have feelings and we all do want the best, right. For ourselves and our families. Let's go back to the thread that connects us. Yeah. Just listen to each other. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Elise. You have been amazing. And I've really, really enjoyed our conversation. You've given some really profound advice. And I think what you're doing to build a legacy and to break generational poverty is amazing. So good for you. Keep doing what you're doing. How can people find you online? Yeah, so I um, redefining education.org is our website. Okay. Um, so that gives you more information about our company as a whole. And if you have a student that really needs a hand up um, that could use those financial tools, there is uh, you can actually apply for our Triumph Over Tragedy Scholarship right there okay. on the website. And then I use LinkedIn. That is like the one social media that I really, really utilize. Um, so it is, you know, Elise Maslonic um, in Redefine. Um, so, yeah, that LinkedIn is I would love to connect with everyone and keep you posted on when my memoir is complete because that's been such a 
mm-hmm. moving, wonderful, crazy experience to do it. But um, I'm excited for when that comes out. Yeah, I bet it's healing as well. Yes. Yeah. So, well, thank you so much, Elise Maslanik, for everything that you're doing and Redefined and um, and the, the Triumph Over Tragedy Scholarship. I think you guys are just doing amazing things. So thank you so much for your time today. And I wish you incredible success in all that you do. Thank you. All right, everybody. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Pretty Powerful Podcast. And you can always check us out on prettypowerfulpodcast.com. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining our guests on the Pretty Powerful Podcast. And we hope you've gained new insight and learned from exceptional women. Remember to subscribe or check out this and all episodes on prettypowerfulpodcast.com. Visit us next time. And until then, step into your own power.